Hello and welcome to this session of the Everyman Livestream. My name is Jeremy and I'll be your host today. You know, I want you to take a moment and think about a marathon race. Imagine as you look down the line of all the racers getting ready to go. They're all dressed in the lightest material. They have on their dry fit, they have on their shoes, and all made out of the most lightest material so they can run the furthest. Now I want you to imagine, as you look down the line, you see one runner. And this runner in particular has in each hand a 50 pound dumbbell. Now I don't know about you, but I don't think that's the way you should run a race. We should not run a race way down. In fact, somebody that does that, I think I would call them the dumbbell. Now, the funny thing is, in our Christian life, we do that exact same thing. We try to run the race of endurance for God, and we let ourselves get weighed down by things such as sin and disobedience to God. Well, in today's session of the Endurance Series, men's expert and pastor Kenny Luck is going to tackle this very issue and talk about how we can run the race lighter for God. Now, before we start, I want you to take a moment and share this message with somebody you think needs to hear it. Now, let's go live to Crossline Church in Laguna Hills, California, as we listen to part two of the Endurance Series. Good morning, men. If, if you have a, hey, I love the energy. Uh, <laughs> woo! Okay. Woo! <laughs> If you have a Bible, you want to hold two spots, Hebrews 12, Mark chapter 9. Uh, we're in a new series in 2020. It's called the Endurance Series. And if you missed part one, just go to the Everyman podcast. You're going to want to pick that up. But uh, just to kind of bring you up to speed, what we're talking about is how no man fights to start a race, right? But every man fights to what? Finish. That's right. That's right. And some of us don't help ourselves along the way. All right. Let's just add that little caveat uh, in there. And that's what we're going to talk about in part two. And just to kind of get a little picture in your head uh, about that. I mean, just think about a marathon runner and, you know, think LA Marathon, Boston Marathon, some marathon. And, you know, you've got all the regulars, right? They're, they're in the throngs. Uh, and then you've got that little pack in the front, right? It's all the little people. And uh, they look like look like they're rabbits, you know, they have very little on, and imagine that you're looking at, you know, that front line, and there's, you know, there's one person, two person, three person, and then in the middle, there's a dude who's about to run 26 miles, and he's holding two 50-pound dumbbells, and you say to yourself, that guy's a dumbbell. <laughs> the dumbbell holder is a dumbbell, right, because you know, it's like, he. He's got to drop those. He, he's not going to get very far. He's going to give up. He's going to have to stop and rest after about, you know, a quarter mile. Or he's just going to give up altogether if he, if he hangs on to those. And I know it's like a really simple, crude, kind of silly uh, picture. But as crude and simple and silly as it is, and as unimaginable as a guy who's going to run a marathon holding 50-pound dumbbells, you know, so many of us are doing the exact same thing in the Christian life. We're holding on to sin. We're holding on to attitudes and actions that we know don't show love for God and people. And we're trying to run our race for Jesus while at the same time we're carrying around things that we know displease God, attitudes that we know displease God, family situations that we know displease God, and we're letting it happen right under our nose. And so, you know, just like we would 
say to that racer, drop the dumbbells. You know what? I think God would want to say to us, hey, drop the dumbbells. Drop, drop the weight. Drop the, drop the sin in your life. And I know that if you're like me, uh, there's a, a wall of pride that could come up in your heart right now. It's like, you don't know how long I've known the Lord. You don't know how long I've walked with Jesus. You don't know how, you know, and you know, you don't have the, the obvious visible dumbbells in your hands that people would see. But you know, the thing about Jesus is that he sees past that external, doesn't he? I mean, Jesus sees past those externals and you can just stop examining yourself and just think, hey man, I'm cruising, I'm good. You know, you can have that little walk around attitude of resentment in your heart towards somebody and just think, ah, oh, you know, I'll carry around that dumbbell or maybe that little side sin that doesn't hurt anybody, you know? I can just carry that around in my race for Jesus or maybe it's that personal resistance inside to serving and connecting directly to the body of Christ, all right? God's church, God's community, God's family. Or maybe it's just that, that insecurity inside of you that makes you feel immature and ruins relationships, you know, I don't know, you know, what it is. Maybe it's just an unwillingness to surrender your finances, you know, fully to God's will. You see, you know, it's not the outer things because the Bible says that, that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Yeah, it's, it's what's going on on the inside. That's who you really are. What you do is not who you really are. How you think and what's going on in your heart, that's who you really are. And so the good news is that you don't have to be a dumbbell anymore and carry around your dumbbells. You can shed the weight, you can drop the disobedience, and you can get lighter because lighter is better. Can we say that together? Lighter is better. That's right. When, you, when, you, when it comes to endurance in anything, uh, lighter is better. And we're going to learn that the road to endurance spiritually is paved with a mindset of removing sin of repenting, all right? That means changing your mind about something and releasing energy for God more and putting less energy into sin. And that's where we're headed this morning, all right? And we see this mindset encouraged in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, which we're gonna read together right now, all right? Ready? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance, the race marked out for us. Okay, everybody look up here. And if you're watching online, just look right here at my mug, all right? God has a race just for you to run. It's nobody else's. He created you, he loves you, he has a plan for you. He's, he's, he's got good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do while you're on earth, but you gotta run with endurance. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon, and you need more endurance. But to run with endurance, you gotta respect the instruction from God, which is what? To throw off everything that hinders. What are we supposed to throw off? Everything. That means that we have to self-examine and we have to look at our lives. I'm gonna go, man, what hinders my calling in God? 
my calling to run this race for God in my marriage and family and in my work and how I spend my money and where I serve and where I put my energies. What, what do I have to look at in myself? God, help me with that because the fact of the matter is that sin entangles. I don't know if you guys grew up with brothers. I grew up with brothers, but they would love to catch my back foot. You know, it's just like, you know, you're walking, you're doing anything and they just go, you know, or they grab it. Or you're walking by, like walking down the hallway in the Luck household was like going into an Al-Qaeda terrorist cell. You know, you just never knew when an IED in the form of your brother was going to pop out at you, you know. And, uh, and, and they would try to stop you from going to the end of the hallway because they knew that the bathroom was at the end of the hallway. So all ambushes were planned down this long hallway uh, in, in, in our house. But you know what? The devil loves to entangle men in sin. And the way he does it is he gets us thinking a certain way about it that dilutes its true power to entangle us and drag us down and pull us back and weight us down so that we don't run with endurance. And when you can't run with endurance, all of a sudden you have self-conversations, right? I don't know how many of you guys, you know, maybe in junior high or high school when you were made to run the mile or you had to run a long race where you're just like in the middle of the race and you're just like, hmm, I don't know if I have the endurance to finish this sucker. You know who loves that moment? The devil. Because then he starts getting in your head. Then he starts lying to create a narrative to get you to give up. But we're not going to let him. So write this down. When it comes to spiritual endurance, the Bible says, God's word says, get light. All right, let's say that together. Get light. Yeah, you got to get light. I mean, just think about it. I remember uh, training with the milers and two milers in high school, you know, and they all ran around in these dolphin shorts. Oh my gosh, I can't even, admit, I admitted that I had a pair. Okay, so, all right, you can... Just remember, God's watching you. Don't judge me. But when I was running with the miles, two miles, I had a pair of, I had these dolphin shorts, and they, were, they weighed like nothing, right? And I remember we'd just take off and run to the Palmasan winery like 15 miles away, all right? Those were the days, right? You just take off and run 15 miles. Eh, I'm going to go on a 15-mile run. But, I mean, we had to get light. I mean, we had these, I remember Nike just, had just come out with their waffle trainers, in, uh, you know, 1982, right? Those blue and gold waffle trainers, right? And uh, man, you just get light, it's just shorts and shoes, bye. And uh, that's what the Bible says. Now, uh, the Bible, we have to define sin because if we're gonna get light, we gotta know what we're shedding, all right? What disobedience are we dropping? And, and sin, let's just make a, a layman's definition of it. It's any action or attitude that does not show love for God and people, Okay? Any attitude, any action on your part that does not show love for God, express love for God, or express love for people, right? And Jesus, as he was discipling his guys, he was kind of helping them develop a certain mindset about sin. And we see that mindset that he wants them to have in Mark chapter 9. I'll start it and then we're gonna finish it together, right? Jesus says, but if you cause any one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, stop, that's you. Okay, so you see the topic? There's sin and the threat against the believer, all right? But if you cause any one of these little ones who trusted me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. There's Jesus' attitude towards sin and its impact on you. But then he, he, points, he points the conversation at the believer. And he says, if your hand causes you to sin, 
cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. Let's finish it together. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. Jesus is speaking about the language of amputation. He's saying, hey, this is how you think about sin. It's cancer. It's cancer. And you gotta stop the spread of cancer. And back in the first century, the way you stop the, pre- the spread of cancer, you cut things off. Now, I'm just, I'm just glad he didn't say if your right hand offends you, you know, to the guy audience, you know, out there. It's just uh, one of those, you know, things. But you got to cut it off, right? If what you, and and, it, and he's, he's, he's making us self-reflect. He's like, if you, if your sin, if your foot, if your hand, if your eye causes you to sin, so it's like, you got to know your weakness, And then you have to take a dramatic step. Is amputation dramatic? 100%. It's like, oh, sorry, that gangrene is spreading from your foot to your knee. It's going to eventually get into your system. We got to cut your leg off below the knee to stop that. Right? He's being dramatic because sin is powerful and sin is deadly. And if you have a casual attitude towards sin in your life, it will take you down. And so let's talk about this language of amputation. Number one, amputation is painful. Write that down. I mean, no way around it. I don't care how much anesthetic they give you. Eventually, it wears off. Amputation is painful emotionally and physically. Number two, amputation is thorough. All right? Jesus is saying, you know that sin, whatever that attitude or action in your life that you know does not show love for God and people? You got to be thorough with it. All right? But it's going to be painful. Number three, amputation is worthwhile. All right, someone who was gonna die when they cut something out and now they're gonna live, that's worthwhile. Life, that's why when Jesus says, hey, eternal life, fires of hell. All right, you make a hard decision to get rid of sin. It's better to enter into eternal life having suffered that loss than entering into a present circumstance that that sin draws you into where you experience hell on earth and hell ultimately leads you there. Number four, amputation is visible. You notice a person who is missing a limb. You know, I just think about our warriors that come home, you know, from Afghanistan or Iraq or from the Gulf War, and man, they have, they have a limb missing because their Humvee rolled over an IED or whatever befell their unit. Right? And you just go, man, that's visible. All right? So when you think about sin and removing it, let's be honest with ourselves. Might be painful, gotta be thorough, it's gonna be worthwhile, and it's gonna be visible. Your life, you should look, there should be a visible difference in who you are and how you conduct yourself when you remove sin from your life. And, um, just to kind of put a punctuation on this, that, that, we need to, that we need to be removing sin, repenting from sin, and releasing more energy for God and less energy into self and sin. Let's read 1 Timothy 5, 22 together. Ready? Keep yourself free from sin. That's right. How's that going? I'm in that battle. Are you in that battle? The battle against sin? to shed it so that we can run with more endurance and more energy and more facility and freedom for Jesus. All right, so let's talk about getting light 
in order to last. And as we talk about things, just, you know, I use language that says I must. And the reason why I use that kind of language, like, eh, he's being dramatic. You know, I don't have to do anything, you know. Well, because you live in a democracy and you have the freedom to choose. But when it comes to your walk with God, there's some things you got to do. I mean, you just got to do. And it's all about a lifestyle. It's not an event. It's like these are the things that the man of God does to get light. All right, and the first thing is I must possess a powerful motivation. Passion for sin has to be replaced with a passion for somebody, something or someone else. You know, I worked in recovery for a lot of years, and I used to tell people trying to get free from their addiction or whatever bondage they were in, I would, I would say, you know, you can't beat or defeat a negative passion inside without replacing it with a positive passion. It's got to be concurrent. So if you're going to say no to something, say yes to the next thing, right, in order to sustain, you know, your path. And, um, and having a motivation, you see, I, I can equip you intellectually, I can equip you kind of uh, strategically, I can give you some good direction, but you know what? I can't put motivation inside of you. I can't motivate you to do anything, all right? But the Bible says, here's how we have a powerful motivation. Find it in 2 Corinthians 5.15, let's read it together, ready? And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. You ever ask yourself the question, why do we do communion so often in church? It's because Jesus wanted you to remember and never, ever, 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 ever forget what is at the center of your motivation for living for him. It says it right here. And he died for all. And then I want you to circle two words. So that. There's the payoff word. Jesus died for you so that your life would look different. So that you would shed the sin. So that you would drop the disobedience. And it wouldn't be just you doing something because you had to do it or through stale religion. But it's a personal thing. It's a personal thing. There's the center of your motivation. The center of your motivation is the center of the gospel. A man saying yes to death so that you can live. And that creating in you a new sense of stewardship and responsibility over your life. All right, look at the mentality of the God's man, Paul, when he's talking about his motivation. Let's read Galatians 2.20 together. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So Paul says, my life reflects him giving his life. So if you want to get me, you got to see him, see what he did, and see how I view that, and then you'll get me. 36 years ago, I finally had the aha moment. When I came to grips with the fact that God gave his very best when Kenny Luck was at his very worst. And I was hopeless and helpless. And then someone told me the good news about this man. And he left perfection to come to imperfection. He left perfect unity and perfect fellowship for disharmony and brokenness so that I could live and I could know who I am and when I knew who I was I would know what to do and he solved the mystery of meaning in my life 
that I'm created by God and for God and I'm going to God and God loves me and God has a plan and there's grace for my sin and I can become new. I don't have to be this person that I don't like. I can become new. That's what Paul's saying. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. How are you living today? What's your motivation? Is it on your phone? Is it social media? Is it to be visible? Is it to get that next bonus? Is it to get a new, new title on your business card? What is at the core of who you are? And I'm just saying, man of God, at the center of who you are is the center of the gospel. And at the center of the gospel is a guy who loved you so much that he gave himself for you. And so you're gonna give up stuff for him and it's not gonna be hard, amen? Not gonna be hard. Second, I must practice self-reflection. You know, it's one thing to possess a personal motivation that really is strong. It's another thing to practice self-reflection. And you know what guy I do not looking at for very long? The dude in the mirror. I just, it's just like, he's cool. And because if I look long enough, I'm gonna go, man, there's some things in him that need changing. All right, I don't care how long you've walked with the Lord. I don't care if you're a Christian one day or you've been walking with the Lord for 60 years. There's stuff in you that God wants to change, amen? We're in that process. And you know, we have to get into a lifestyle of self-examination and self-reflection because we're all in a process. If you're not in a process, you don't need to self-examine. But because you're in a process of becoming like Christ, you need to self-examine. You need to go, okay, there's me, and then there's Jesus. There's me, and then there's Jesus. And, and I love the prayer from Psalm 139. This is David, the man after God's own heart. Let's read David's prayer, and can I throw out a challenge? Memorize Psalm 139, 23, and 24, and, and more than memorize it, pray it. Pray it. Why don't we just all pray it together right now as we read it? Ready? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. You know, we take ourselves to a doctor when we want to discover if something's broken. Or if we want to discover if there's something foreign inside of us that's going to take us down. And you know, every man of God needs to put himself under the Jesus MRI, you know? And that's just going before Jesus and letting the life of Jesus and the words of Jesus and the word of God and letting the Holy Spirit, the power in this amazing eternal inspection process just kind of reveal some stuff. And you know what? I, I, don't, I don't like to see the stuff I'm not proud of. How about you? But you know what? That's the difference between someone who loves you and who doesn't love you. Someone who loves you says, you know, I love you too much to leave you the way you are. And that's God's attitude toward you. You have an eternal relationship with him. You don't have to worry about it. It's guaranteed it was bought with blood. All right? So that's solid. Okay? Now what do I got to do? All right? I have to put myself before God and I have to let God examine me. The relationship's not threatened. He'll never abandon me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. So that, I'm cool there. So that means that then I can participate in this process with this person, with God himself through his son Jesus, and I can self-examine and I can let him tell me what's going on with me and he can throw my life up on that x-ray board where the light is behind it and his light 
can expose my sin. And guess what? He still loves me after it's exposed. He's not going to reject me. He's just going to say, now go and sin no more. It's like when Jesus confronted the adulteress that was brought before him. All right, was she guilty? Yes or no? Yes. But then he said, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, they're gone, Lord. And he says, neither do I contend you neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. So if, you, if you're in a, in, a, in a relationship that is rooted in grace, truth is going to come into that relationship because grace roots you and you're good. So that means that there's a context for speaking truth because the grace roots you. God can speak truth into you and say, you know what, Kenny, that's got to go because I'm I'm, I'm, I'm rooted in grace. Amen? So, you know, that's a growing relationship. Someone who really loves you will tell you the truth. So you got to practice self-reflection. Uh, it talks about this in James chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. I'll start it, and then we're going to finish it together. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. All right, join me. Ready? For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. You know, that whole holding up the mirror thing, God uses a lot of things to hold up the mirror. And this is the number one thing he uses to hold up the mirror. What's your relationship like here? You want to self-examine? You got to put yourself underneath the MRI of God's word. And it will tell you who you are It'll expose what's wrong, and it'll tell you what to do. All right? Sometimes the mirror is circumstances, consequences, choices you make that haven't paid off, decisions that are creating consequences, and then God makes you hold up a mirror and go, wow, what's my connection to that? All right? But we look at this scripture, the key is not so much the mirror. All right? The mirror's good. The mirror doesn't lie, Right? It's the person who's looking at himself in the mirror and what's going on in his head. And you can, you can stay and say, that's reality, or you can self-deceive, right? You can look in the mirror, you can self-deceive, and you can walk away, and that's the person who immediately forgets what kind of person they really are. And the Bible tells us that we fall short, that the righteous man falls seven times but rises again, that we have issues that we gotta deal with, uh, but if we just kinda... If we're, we're in Hakuna Matata land, you know, ain't no worries, just in our own little world of our own creation of denial, no self-reflection, you're not going to run the race with endurance because you're going to have sin in your life. So that's number two, I must practice self-reflection. Number three, I must give all authority. Everybody say all authority, all authority. I must give all authority to God's word. Now, I don't give all authority to anything in my life except for Jesus and God's word. That I'm committed to. Do I struggle with it? 100%. But am I committed to it? 100%. That's how a man of God thinks. Right? The man of God gives all authority to the word of God. Let's say that together. The man of God gives all authority to the word of God. That's right. That's why Jesus would get a little, you know, it's like there's a disconnect for Jesus if you call yourself a man of God, but don't give all authority to the word of God. It's like, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? So there's this disconnect between identity and activity. And the activity of the man of God is to give all authority to the word of God. It says 
in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Just a good reminder. Let's read it together. Ready? All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Amen, hallelujah, and amen. But you know what? A lot of us put our own opinion over God's word. A lot of us put our feelings in the moment over God's word. A lot of us put the opinions of our spouses or the desires of our spouses over God's word. And that doesn't work out for you, man of God. It doesn't work out when we don't place all authority in scripture and God's word because it's God's breathe, it's God's mind, it's God's heart. All these historical narrative stories, you know, they come as revelation to us so that we can apply the revelation, not discuss it or debate it. If God cares enough to say something or let you peek in on a situation where he dealt with a man or a people and there's a narrative lesson or a direct command, that's not for consideration, that's for application. Amen? We gotta give all authority to God's word. Right? In James chapter 1, verse 25, talking to the guy in the mirror and his relationship with God's word says this. Let's read it together. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. You want to get light? And run your race with endurance. You gotta have the right motivation. You gotta practice self-reflection and you have to give all authority to God's word and watch the freedom enter your life. The next thing we need to do to get light is we must let God's spirit rule my mind. I must let God's spirit rule my mind. Now, the last point and this point are intimately linked. Okay, I want you to say something with me. Say, God's spirit supports God's word. God's spirit supports God's word. Right, every word, every period, every comma was breathed by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will always support God's word. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have trouble remembering God's word. How about you? But you know, that's why the Holy Spirit is inside of us, to remind us of God's word. The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, supports God's word. What it says in Ephesians chapter four, it's a good word for every man of God. Let's read it together, ready? Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, Truly righteous and holy. Wow. Man, that's the gold bullion of the morning right there. I mean, that's the one you take to the bank. That's the one you put in a deposit. That's the one you stand on with two feet. The question is, are we, are we in agreement or are we applying what it says? It's one thing to be in agreement. It's another thing to apply. I agree with a lot of things I don't apply. How about you? you know where the rubber hits the road is in the application. And the context of this is throwing off. There's that language again, by the way. 
Same as the first verse that we, we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, which says, throw off everything that hinders. Look what it says here. Throw off your old sinful nature, all right? Because that's going to make you run heavy. You're not going to have endurance, all right? How do we do that? Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. You see, when we cross the line and we come into a relationship with Jesus, The Bible says that God pours the spirit of his son into our hearts. So if you're a Christian and you've said yes to the person and work of Christ, God deposited his spirit in you to tell you who you are, to lead you, to counsel you, to advise you into the will of God. And so there is this reminding, renewing relationship when we start going like this. It's like, hey, you know, you're a man of God. You probably shouldn't, you know, look at, the chest of that lady who doesn't have hardly any clothes on. You know what I'm talking about? Little reminder, you know? Or maybe you should maybe you should write that tithe check. Or maybe you should, you know, pull over and help that person. Or, you know, there's this there's this rhythm. All right? And we fuel the rhythm by being in the word of God, which is breathed by the Spirit of God, then the Spirit of God inside us, inside us reminds us of the Word of God. So it's all flowing together. And in the process of that, we're throwing off our old spiritual nature and we're putting on our new nature created to be like God, listen, truly righteous and holy. Wow, okay, I'm for that. That's what we're talking about. Less sin, more God, all right? Let's look at the last two things that we need to do to get light. Next, I must trust the body of Christ. Let's say that one together. I must trust the body of Christ. Like, We've all been a part of families, and those families are good or bad to greater and lesser degrees, right? And uh, some families are super helpful in helping its members become better, and some aren't, right? This family right here, this new community that God created for you to be a part of, it's not peripheral to you running with endurance. It's essential. And some of you are rediscovering that right now. When you separate your life from the community that God created for you, if you try to exist apart from it, you lose your function. That's why it's called a body. You can't be a member of a body and live separately from a body. You can try. Other things might get your attention for a little while or be more meaningful. But if you're God's son or daughter, you belong to God's family. And on earth, that's the local church. And so you have a relationship with God and that helps you run with endurance and that's what we've been talking about. But then you have a relationship with the guy to your right and left right now and he's supposed to help you run with endurance. You gotta trust the body of Christ. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's read it together. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. I know a lot of guys who are confessing Christians who say to the body of Christ, I don't need you. Functionally. Just watch their time. They're like, I'm a believer. It's me and God. And they're this this Lone Ranger type Christian that is never God's plan for you. He has a community of people called the church. 
and it's all over the world. It's in every city. It's about two blocks away from you, most likely, if you live in the Western industrialized world. And you're supposed to be, if you live in that community, a part of that body. And that body is supposed to help you fulfill your function. And so, is it a yes or is it a no? I mean, the problem with Western cultures is that it's like a consumer culture, right? So we choose. I mean, I have a barista guy who makes my triple espresso with a half a pump of mocha, and I have my mortgage guy, and I have my electri- electri- elect- electrical guy, and I've got my handyman, and I've got all these people who accessorize my life, and this is the guy I go to to buy cars, uh, and, and we have all these people, and sort of like, you know, the church is like part of your personal wellness plan. That is backwards. I was going to say another word before backwards. But since we were on live television, no, it's backwards. That's a lie from hell. Because if Satan can keep you away from the very thing that's going to help you fulfill your function, shed your sin, give you feedback, tell you the truth, iron sharpens iron, you know, then you're not going to run with endurance. And some of you feel the weight of that and the consequence of that right in this moment. You're drained. You're drained because you're not encouraged. You're drained because you're unaccountable. You're drained because you're not supported. You're drained because no one knows you and you're alone in your problems and you don't talk about them with anybody. And because you don't talk about them with anybody, nobody knows how to help you or even to help you. And God is saying to you, I want you to run with endurance, but you gotta trust the body of Christ. I formed a whole new community just for you Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. Everybody say, never say. But you know what? We might not say that out loud, but we're thinking it in here. I don't need the church. I don't need God's new community that he made for me. I can exist apart from it. And that's why you're cut off from the body. And you're not enduring because you're just not connected. And, but if you reconnect, and that's why we do this, men. That's why we're starting fellowships all over the country is to reconnect people to the body of Christ so guys can run with endurance. Look at what it says happens when you connect to the body of Christ. James 5.16, ready? Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. If sin holds you down and God wants you lighter, then sin has to come out and come off. The only way sin comes out and comes off is by being connected to the body of Christ and using it for what its purpose is, which is a place where you can say, I'm struggling with that, this isn't working, I need counsel, I need prayer, I need, and you confess your sin and then the body of Christ gets to go to the spot that's hurting or the spot that's not performing and the body of Christ can come around and, and heal that part, right? That's what your body does when it has an infection, Right, there's an infection and then, and then helper cells are released and, and then you get a wheel and flare response and then all these helper cells come to that spot and there's activity around that thing. Why? Because the body self-heals. But there are some of you, you're just, you're just a festering infection. Sorry. It's a graphic image. But guess what? Good news for you. There's the body of Christ, and you need to reconnect with it. I mean, there are a lot of you who are feeling really convicted right now. You've been just, you're just an independent operator. That's all you are, and that was never God's plan for your life. 
You need to connect with the local church and with the body of believers that are moving forward in God's plan. And you need to experience the full range of God's plan for you. And when you do, watch the freedom come. Watch the endurance come, right? So we gotta trust the body of Christ. Lastly, I must remove what God reveals. Write that down. I must remove what God reveals. You see, when you're in a relationship with the one true God, he's a holy God. He's pure. He's righteous. He's just. And just by virtue of hanging out with him, having a dialogue with him, getting to know him, seeing him for who he really is, he's going to expose some things, yes, in your life, but mainly in between your ears and in your heart that's got to go because you're in relationship with him. And if he's holy and just, you know, he wants you to have the family resemblance. In fact, the Bible commands it. Be holy, God says, for I am holy. I mean, you you dads get this. You want the best in you reproduced in your kids, right? Not the worst parts of you, but the best parts of you. Here's the thing. Everything's great about God, right? He doesn't have sin. But that one part of him, that, that holiness, all right, that purity, that, that, that freedom from sin, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enjoy. They want you to enjoy that same freedom and joy that doesn't have any sin in the mix. And so that's why God's, God, God's all about you removing what he reveals. Look what it says in Romans 13. This is a powerful passage of scripture, and we'll close with this. It says, so remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes okay, and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling or jealousy. Let's finish this together with energy, ready? Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Man, that sounds like commitment. Now I'm gonna go back to the first point. I can express that kind of commitment and that kind of diligence and that kind of energy when I'm connected to my kind of savior. And he died for all, that those who live should not live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Let's bow our heads and let's go to that savior right now. Jesus, you're our savior. You are our savior. We needed saving. We need saving right now and we will need it tomorrow and the next day. Forgive us for thinking that we don't. Forgive us for thinking that we've arrived. Forgive us for not being vigilant in self-reflection. Forgive us for not letting your spirit remind us of who we are. Forgive us for not giving full authority to your word, not trusting the body of Christ. And when you remove things, we deny things. When you point them out, we deny them. People might say things, we might get feedback, we might experience a consequence of an action that we've taken over a lifetime and yet we're not responding. God, just wipe the slate clean again, Jesus. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our anxious thoughts and see 
See if there's any hurtful way in us. Right now. See if there's any hurtful way in me, Lord. I want to see it. I want to see what part of me doesn't please you. There's ways I think, things I've just let be a part of my life for a long time and I think they're okay. And yet it hurts my relationship with you and people. I want to see that. And I'm staying right here. I'm not walking away from the mirror. Sorry, Lord. Sorry. I've forgotten what the process really is. That you're making me like Jesus. And that means removing what you reveal. And so I'm putting a stake in the ground today. And once again, I, I receive for myself your forgiveness. Thank you for the blood that cleanses my sin. And I thank you for making that decision, Jesus, to do a hard thing. Yet not your will was done, but the Father's will was done. And I do the same thing. I'm going to say those same words in faith because I don't know if I'm going to be able to overcome what you've revealed. It's been in my life a long time. Yet not my will be done, but your will be done. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Remind me, Holy Spirit, who I am so that as I, I leave this time with you, God, and time with the body of Christ and time in your word, I'll be different. I can put on the new nature and run with endurance. In Jesus' name, amen.